If green is your favorite color or your way of living, then Grounded is the place for you. From big environmental solutions to your own backyard, wherever in the universe you may be, join me, Melanie Walker, on a journey to a cleaner, greener life. Grounded, your window on the environment. And welcome to it. Yes, it's another one of those wonderful episodes where we talk about all things green, whether they be plants in the garden or the environmentally green things. We talk about it and how you can be, number one, a better gardener, and number two, a better environmentalist. Well, somebody who knows so much about all of this stuff, and I'm going to give him the first accolade for is the president of SANA, and SANA is the South African Nurserymen's Association, which should tell you that he knows a lot about all kinds of plants. Because I wanted to say Paul Fonk from Mayford Seeds, because then you think, oh, no, he only knows about seeds. But it's a one thing when it comes to people who are gardeners or in the green industry is we pretty much know most things about everything. We don't know everything about everything. But I'm pretty sure that Paul does, and thank you for joining us today. <laughs> thank you so much, Mel. Well, after that introduction, I hope I don't disappoint anybody. Let's see how we go. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, first of all, where did you get to start? Why are you involved in the green industry? It's always something I like to hear from people because I know a lot of people who have started out in the corporate world and then said, I've had enough of this and I want to do something which is a little bit more chilled and only to find out that the gardening industry is yeah. probably the least chilled place in the world. Yeah, fascinating question, um, and it's quite a long answer. So, is this a two-hour program? I'm just double-checking. <laughs> um, <laughs> it can be uh, as long as you want it to be. <laughs> fantastic. So, I started out life as a as a salesperson. One of my first products that I was selling was a product called Perlite, and Perlite is, of course, vol- volcanic rock which is crushed and expanded, much like popcorn. Uh, you drop it through a vertical furnace and it pops, and it is a perfectly inert and excellent product to start seed off in. So we developed a thing called Genulite, which was a horticultural grade of perlite. And this was my first product that I had to go and sell into the horticultural industry. So this goes back to when Sana still had trade days on the banks of the river near the Kailami Ranch Hotel. This is years, years and years back. (laughs) And that's where it started off. I then soon after that moved into the chemical industry and only came back to horticulture in around about 97 or so when through an incident in the chemical industry I was looking for a new a new opportunity and I responded to an advert which turned out to be Hadeco flower bulbs. So I spent eight years with uh, Floris Barnon and his team and learned a huge amount about uh, flower bulbs. Had a lot of fun there and then I moved on to Mayford Seeds which is now going sort of like 16 16, 17 years ago. So that gives you a quick short background where, where I've come from. It's actually, it's, it's quite interesting though. you're talking about seeds and bulbs and everything. The amount of people that you have going, um, I need to buy, I need to find seeds for amaryllis. And, and the, the misconception that so many people still have about how certain plants grow, which ones grow from seeds, which ones mm. grow from bulbs, which ones are from rhizomes, cuttings, whatever. And a lot of people don't know this in, information at all. Yeah. Very much so. We were taught by Floris to, well, we had to study his book that he'd written on flower bulbs in order to be uh, a member of the company. We really had to learn this thing. And it's interesting that we say flower bulbs, but we actually mean a whole range of other products, including rhizomes and all sorts of things that are not true bulbs. 
really, I think in South Africa, you're looking at daffodils and tulips being the two true bulbs, if you like, in the, in the mm -hmm. spring and spring flowering bulb, bulb kingdom. Amaryllis, interesting product, fantastic export item too, and a certainly a famous Christmas flower for the northern European market. But certainly you're not going to plant an amaryllis from seed. You'll be busy for a long time. So you grab a bulb and you absolutely just pop it up and off you go. Okay, so from the seed industry point of view, um, I mean, it, I know that uh, Mayfords is probably what the biggest seed supplier. Is it just in South Africa or are you overseas as well? Yeah, Mayford Seeds is a, a very well-known household brand name, been here since the 1930s. And in 1999, we were sold lock, stock and barrel to Sakata Seed, which is a Japanese international conglomerate. It, it's one of the largest, one of the larger international vegetable seed houses in the world. And they bought us, they bought Mayford Seeds, and we retained the brand name because of its uh, you know, local sort of like uh, the, the famous connection that it has in the local market put us into good stead. So we are connected to an international conglomerate. We um, have a professional vegetable commercial angle which sells uh, Sakata and other brands direct to the farming community. And I head up then the Mayford Seeds brand, which is yeah, synonymous with, with brands in South Africa. Whether we're the largest, I don't know. There are three healthy competitors. It's Starcase, Kirchhoff's, and ourselves. Those are the three main big ones. That certainly are SANA members and uh, members of all kinds of, uh, all, the right, all, all the right angles, if you like. Um, there, there, there's a lot of seed that's available online. Uh, whether that's all 100% above board, one doesn't know, because I think um, it, it's actually technically illegal to import seed by a postal order, for example, you have to have phytosanitary documentation to import seed into the country. So I'm saying these brands are the larger ones and we follow all mm. the rules. So um, we are certainly known for our range. Our range, I think, in flowers, vegetables, herbs and lawn grasses. It, I think if you put that all together, that probably is the largest, I, I would imagine. That's what, I mean, people think of seeds, they immediately think grass seed, they will think about scatter packs, and they will think about veggies, specific vegetables. Like, I mean, I know that you have yeah. an F1 hybrid tomato, which is just absolutely unbelievable. But then they, they, there are so many other flowers that you don't think that you would be growing from seed. Most people will go into a garden center and go and buy seedlings, or they'll buy a, a fully established plant. But, I mean, pretty much anything can be grown from seed unless it's specifically like a bulb. Yes, indeed. Uh, and you can plant bulbs from seed. It's just that you need an extra three or four years before you see any results. So it's quicker to, to use a bulb. Or in the case of rhizomes or a cutting or a slip, um, it's much, just much quicker. In the, in the seed kingdom, it is actually so easy to get seed started. It is, it is crazy. And we do, as a community, as an economy, spend a lot of money on instant color. And we're not saying that's wrong, but it is not, not terribly economical because if you buy a seed pack, uh, generally six packs, maybe slightly larger, you're going to be paying for that six pack about the same that you would for a pack of seeds, which contains hundreds of mm. seeds. So you could do this six pack instant color you bought many, many times over for the same money, but it's quick and easy. So you have the toss-up and none of them are wrong. Uh, the point is if you enjoy gardening and you are out in the, in the bright open sunshine and, you know, enjoying the outdoors, 
this is exactly where um, where we believe you should be and be happy. Well, I just think that seeds are just little miracles. I mean, I, I still can't get over how something so tiny can suddenly become like a tree. For instance, I mean, it's, it is one of the, the most amazing things on God's great earth as far as I'm concerned. But let's get into other stuff. I mean, we could talk about seeds all day. Um, I'm, I love them so much and I, I will grow mm. everything from seed and I'm a great seed harvester. Most people awesome. are sure. I mean, they think, oh, I've bought some tomatoes from my local grocery store. Can I take those seeds and grow them? But I, I'm thinking most of those seeds, like from a tomato from a shop, are hybridized, which means that you're probably not going to be able to grow a, a tomato plant that will actually produce any fruit. So going that way, they, they don't understand the difference between those ones that have been bred so that they won't grow more plants, what a hybrid is, what a heritage seed is. Um, are most of your seeds are heritage or heirloom seeds or a lot of hybrids involved? Yeah, so you've asked questions that uh, it adds another three hours to the program, <laughs> but let's just take it in, uh, let, let's just take it bit by bit. If we look at heirloom, this is the biggest area, area of confusion, and unfortunately there's no international agreement exactly on what an heirloom is. It, an heirloom is vaguely something that's been around for more than 50 years. This is more or less agreed that that is what an heirloom seed is. So it's something that uh, God gave us. We may, in the industry, have tweaked it slightly, but it's it's going to grow in an open field. We call this open pollinated, OP, open field. That's how they are. That's how they are um, grown and harvested. And this is how God created it. So if you're in the right zone, where God created and wanted the seed to be to be healthy, that is where it will drop seed and it will, and it will um, can be planted again. If you take that same seed out of its natural zone, for example, across a continent, then you are looking for trouble because it's not in its natural environment. And that is a very good reason why there are, why we have a very limited range of, for example, flowers, flower seed and flower bulbs in South Africa. There's so many more options available in Europe, but our temperatures and climate in the Southern Hemisphere are just too harsh for, for many of those varieties. And it's very often people that have come to South Africa from other zones and ask for English bluebells and, and complicated items that are just, it's just too harsh in this country. Parsnips is a great one and seed. Um, yes, you can get from time to time. The problem with parsnips, the seed doesn't remain stable. It's out of its natural environment. So difficult. I'm not saying impossible, but difficult. So, um, that would be one of the international uh, variations on on where you are locally and uh, what is indigenous and what is endemic. That's a long, long way around of talking about heirloom seeds. If, and heritage, same thing. Mm. Heritage, heritage heirloom is the same, same basic understanding. But we, we would love the consumer to, to get the understanding that we're talking open pollinated. So we have a, um, a very complex, uh, legal system in South Africa governing all of horticulture. And it's, it's done, it's done on purpose. And if we are going to sell an F1, uh, we have to, by law, state on the packet that it's an F1. So that's how you'll find out whether a seed is open pollinated or whether it is an F1. And if we look at uh, numbers or percentages, probably 99.9% .9 of our product is open pollinated, i.e. not F1. The only reason we put an F1 on the market is whether it is when a consumer can easily plant it sow it and be happy with it 
in all zones of South Africa. So we're a national seed brand. It's got to be plantable and successful in Pretoria as well as Cape Town. So that's one of the one of the rules that we have before we would launch a, a product. So and what is an F1? Also a long long answer to the question, but I'm going to give you the short version. An F1 can be likened to a Portuguese person and a Dutch person having a child. You've created an, an unusual one. Okay, <laughs> it, it's as simple as that. And in tomatoes, for example, it's like taking a round one and a large one and combining them and creating a unique third one. So this is not genetic modification. It's not GMO at all. GMO is something completely different. It's purely taking two different varieties and creating a third unique one. Like making a liger. Yeah, indeed. Absolutely right. Especially in the tomato industry, and I I love telling the story because people don't, don't realize why there are so many different tomatoes on the market. The original heirloom tomatoes are large, usually very large, uneven shape. You could even call them ugly if you like. They don't look very appetizing, but they are delicious. But they don't fit into a can. And when the canning industry came around some 40, 50 years ago, the farmer said, look, we're going to have to create something that fits conveniently into a can. And all they did is they, they took different tomatoes, combined them to create a longer or a slimmer or a more even-sized tomato so that they simply fit into the can. It was nothing more complicated than that. One of the um, criticisms of F1 hybrids is that we lose the taste and flavor. And, and that's a very common uh, complaint from consumers. Tomatoes don't have any mm. taste anymore. And there, there is some validity in that. There are some mass-scale uh, tomato farmers who are breeding for the mass-scale market. So, yeah, you do sacrifice taste to a certain extent. And um, that, that is something that Sakata has been very, very particular on. And, and, if, and I think if you want to know what is Sakata, originally famous for tomatoes, right in the beginning for flowers, more than 100 years ago, but uh, certainly a tomato company. And one of the things that we have prided ourselves on is bringing out F1 hybrids that have the original taste and flavor back into the tomato. But you were talking about GMO a moment ago. Um, For a lot of people, they don't understand what GMO is and why we're so anti-GMO, which is the genetic modification, where they're splicing in jellyfish genes or something. (laughs) What what is that all about and why did it come about? Yeah, so I'm going to give you an easy example to understand. And we're going to talk about that uh, that. That, uh, that naughty word, Roundup. Uh, Roundup is a glyphosate, and it is one of the most uh, efficient weed killers of all time. It will kill anything that's alive. That's, that's how it operates. Any plant that is alive, it will kill within 24 hours. Um, but it's not necessarily dangerous, but I'm not going to open that kind of worms. Uh, it's, a, it's a different story. A, a glyphosate is nothing more than a modified salt. But that's an argument for a different day. The point is, uh, we have Roundup, which is a very effective weed killer. So the maize industry said, how about we develop a seed, a maize seed, which will then not react to Roundup. So now you have what they call a Roundup-ready maize seed, which is a genetically modified organism, and, and it has this wonderful ability to not be affected by Roundup. So for a farmer, it is unbelievable. You have perfect yield. No, no weeds, and you have a, a wonderful harvest. Now, I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying that is the background. That is one of the reasons why GMO was considered in the first place. To put the South African public mind at rest, there are no, and I'll repeat, there are no 0, 0, 
GMO vegetables available in South Africa? Full stop. Not available. In the maize industry, and I'm talking mm. seed packets now. I'm talking about the entire seed packet industry in this country. Not available. It's, it's not allowed and it's frowned on. And if you want to know Sakata's position from the president of Sakata in Japan right through the company, no GMO. It is not allowed. It is not spoken of. It is simply not something that we entertain our, entertain ourselves with. So one can, as a South African consumer, be very comfortable that there are no GMOs that are lurking in the seed packet industry. Uh, it's just simply not, not possible. Yeah, so that's a short answer to your, to your GMO question. And what is GMO? It's genetically modified. So it's unnatural. It's an artificial change to the organism. And that is what, you know, the, the world gets so hot under the collar about because it's not natural. And therefore, what are the ultimate results? Are we now going to, in your maize field example, have a fantastic crop, but we've destroyed the, the earth underneath the, mm. the maize? Um, no more earthworms, no more pollen. So these are all additional international concerns, which are valid, and we need to be careful how we proceed on those things. Well, internationally, I mean, the amount of times I know of people who have been overseas, well, not recently, obviously, because it's been a bit difficult for everybody just to go traveling, and they've come, yeah, that's and they've sure. come back yeah. with their smuggling in packets of seeds here and there, and I keep on saying to them, you know what, apart <laughs> from the fact that that's actually illegal, why is it illegal? Yeah. They're saying, why? Why can't I bring, I mean, in London, I went and I bought these wonderful heirloom seeds from a place in, uh, you know, Kew Gardens or whatever. Why can't I bring them back to South Africa if they're already looked after by the government in England? Very good question. And probably no harm will be done whatsoever. I'm quite sure. So this is a seed that's already been professionally uh, harvested, packaged and produced in the UK and I can't see any harm in bringing that seed packet to South Africa. Why is it illegal? It's illegal because the law states that you may not import any seed without a phytosanitary certification. So that's just a, an assurance fact, if you like, to know that the seed that you're importing has no pest, disease, or any other foreign matter that we don't want to bring into the country. If you think of the, um, the shot-hole borer issue, Mm. Shotel borer was introduced into South Africa, we think from, from, from India or China, somewhere there, uh, in pallets. So pallets that were crated on ships had wood borer in them, and that's how they got into the country. This is a good example of why there's a phytosanitary certification in place. It's to ensure that seed that manufacturers and, and producers are importing are clean and, and, and free of, of any pest diseases that we want to you know, prevent bringing into South Africa. So it's an international arrangement. Are you doing any harm? I'm quite sure not. But technically, it's not allowed. Okay. So those of you who are thinking of, just open the packets and put it in the bottom of your pockets. <laughs> you don't have an, have an actual pack, package yourself. Uh, okay, so getting on to other things now, of course, with SANA, which uh, is the SANA. I'm not, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not party. You're not party uh, to it. You're not, not saying anything. I'm not party to that discussion. That's okay. fine. I'm just saying, I know a lot <laughs> no. of people who do it, and I'm just sitting there and thinking, look, I, yeah, I haven't yeah. because I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of that person who's – abides by the law mostly apart from when it comes to driving fast um but anyway so <laughs> let's not get on to that bit of it yeah, yeah. <laughs> when it comes to sana the south african nurserymen's association i mean have you guys during the last two years i know a lot of industries and especially some of the industries i work in but not the green industry you've had quite a a good 
bumper, shall we say, a bumper crop over the last two years compared to a lot of other industries um, because everybody went gardening. Have you seen that there's been an uptick and an uptake in people getting more into it? Have you been selling a lot more seeds? We certainly have. We've sold a lot more seed. We've sold a lot more plants. Our Sana members throughout, and I'm speaking about our retailers, had a fantastic year last year. There is no question. And it, it's not just seeds. It's, it's right throughout. It's the whole complement of products available through garden centers. And why was that? The government sent us home, and we did that. We went home, and we walked outside into the garden, and we went, oh, my word, this looks terrible, and we shot into garden centers to improve the look of our garden, but also to go and plant vegetable seeds. So we saw a massive uptake on vegetable seeds that consumers went and planted at home, and I'm sure they enjoyed the, the benefits and fruits of it. So I'm quite sure that we have new consumers. We don't even really know who they are because we haven't been able to do any research, and we're very happy about that. So there was a huge uptake last year. This year, interestingly enough, in August, September, around about there, September, October, some of our retailers were reporting sales in excess of last year's number, and last year's number was like a 50-year high. So there's been uh, a resurgence, a short resurgence during the spring of that, which is delightful for, for our members because our sector had struggled for years prior to that. There's no question. I wonder why that was, though. Why did it go down so much over so I mean, when I started in the industry, I was looking at how many people, and I think it was Dermot Gavin and that whole breed of TV gardener that came along. I mean, yes. we all thought, oh, this is really sexy. We can get into this. I mean, this is really cool. And do you think yeah. that that was one of the reasons why gardening started an uptick again as having gone down as being seen as something that your granny did? I, I think you did right. Um, and I look at myself as, as an example. I, I was never really taught how to plant seeds or bulbs. My mother did that and my grandmother did that. So I think we had a whole generation who had not learned how to plant seeds or bulbs. So I think that was one reason why it, why we went through several years of less interest in that. And then along came McDermott and um, Jamie Oliver, and um, who is that 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 lady on on British uh, cooking program? Oh yes, uh, ladle it over. What was it? <laughs> the the lovely uh, one that uses lots of right. butter. That's the one, yeah. And, and they, they set it on fire. They set it on fire. The, you know, use unusual herbs, get the different tastes. Herbs are actually classified as aromatics. And in fact, the French referred to the herbs as the aromatiques. That's, it's, it's an mm. aromatic. So it's an, it's the aroma. And that's why you use herbs. So, you know, put different kinds of herbs into your dish and get different tastes and flavors and be with it. And I think that was part of the uptick. There's no question. That just infused it and set it on fire. Our local, you know, fanatics like Tanya Fissett did a lot of that work as well on television too, uh, and yourself too. Um, you've also been in that in that zone, and it's just made it so popular and, and fab and uh, interesting and, and fun. Uh, so there's very there's good reasons why that happened. And then along came the COVID, and of course it just went insane. And now it's sort of leveled off to a, a more level of norm, normality, if you like. And I mean, overseas in England, I mean, one of the things that I love about like BBC and being over there, it's the amount of gardening that goes on. So they, as far as I'm concerned, they were wrong. The British are not a, a nation of shopkeepers. They're a nation of gardeners. And the mm -hmm. programs that they have on television really does do that justice. But there really isn't enough 
in the way of educating people on, say, for television, on, on, I'm not talking about dedicated channels, which do like the home channel. I'm talking about on national channels. There's nothing on those anymore. There used to be amazing programs about gardening yeah. where people could learn to garden. And this is something which is now starting to lack. I'm not talking about, you know, in the middle classes. I'm talking about the people who are out still in the Khlatin and where they used to grow their own mm. crops and now that's been lost. There's nothing for them to yeah. learn, the younger generation. And I find that quite disturbing that there's nothing on national television. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. I think our television has become splintered over the years. So if you go back maybe 10, 15, maybe even 20 years, there was fewer programs available. But with uh, things like DSTV and, and you know ability to pick up satellite television wherever you are, uh, you can go totally international. So I think television's become splintered and it's become very expensive for a supplier or a brand to go and punt on a specific TV program. So if you really want to attract the larger percentage of the population, you've got to go on to millions of different programs. And I think it's just become too expensive. I think it's just, I think we've priced ourselves out of that sector. That's, that's my take mm-hmm. on it. That's how I see it. I would say definitely. And I mean, I miss being able to see all of those wonderful shows because, of course, we get the stuff from like, it's, it's not too bad when you get shows from Australia because we have the same kind yes. of climates. But when everybody's getting the stuff from overseas, from England or America, it's all wrong. And then you have all these people with the wrong expectations of what they can be doing in their gardens because they're going by what the northern hemisphere is doing. And that's one thing that yes, we have exactly. to educate people into a lot as well. Yeah, so my involvement in, in SANA has pretty much looked at the, you know, where is our, where is our horticulture coming from? And this whole thing of international time zones and climate zones and hemispheres is very important, especially in, in the bulb world. I, I learned that we had countless telephone calls of people that had telling us that their, their tulips haven't flowered. And then we asked the question, where did you get them from? And then it's, mm, Okay, well, we'll have to tell you we bought them at the airport in Amsterdam. (laughs) And then we have to start the whole discussion of, you know, you planted them out of season. So you bought them in Amsterdam, you flew to Johannesburg, and you popped it six months into trouble because it has no idea what's going on. It's getting the wrong times, it's getting the wrong temperature zones. And I think maybe a crucial understanding of horticulture is it's temperature related. Everything in horticulture reacts to temperature to kickstart, to start seed, to start seed going, to germinate seed, to start a bulb going, to, to get the plant into the correct zone. It's all temperature. And this is one fatal misunderstanding. And then they look at us and say, but why don't you have the answer? Why, you know, these are tulips. Why can't I get them to flower? And we're saying, but ma'am, first of all, you didn't buy them from us. So you bought them in a different country and a different hemisphere. And that is why um, I think there's there's a lot of confusion as well. Absolutely. I mean, even somebody who came back from Amsterdam brought me tulips. And I sat there and said, well, Mm -hmm. it's a bit pointless giving them to me now because by the time I actually have the time that I can put them into the ground, they're probably going to be rotten because I'd have to keep them in a fridge somewhere in a real cold area Mm -hmm. until it's time to plant them out. And these poor things are going to be so confused. So that's one thing that does irritate me when people (laughs) coming to the Southern Hemisphere pick up plants on their way back from there. But now what does, what does Sana actually do? I mean, I know that um, you've got the marketing arm of it, which I do a lot of work with obviously is life as a garden, which I'm sure a lot of people have seen here, there and everywhere. So Sana is just the agglomeration of, suppliers of nurserymen um, and 
they're accredited so you know that they are above board and not doing any kind of scaly tricks behind the scenes? <laughs> to a certain extent, yes. It, it is a voluntary association, so there's no requirement by law to be a member of SANA. But I think we do pride ourselves on the fact that we probably have 80% of the South African horticultural industry in some manner or means connected to, to SANA or one of our sister associations like South African Landscapers Institute or SAJIC. But SANA is essentially a, 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 originally the South African Nursery Association, not, not even Nursery Mints, <laughs> the South African Nursery Association. So it had to do with growers. So it was a, Originally, almost 75 years ago, um, in 1947, SANA was started as a collection of growers that got together to talk about what are their common problems, what are their common purposes, how can they uh, together stand together and create a better commercial environment. So it's, it's very much commercially uh, orientated, and that's probably why I think consumers are not consciously aware of what SANA is, because it's a trade association. As you said, it's all the suppliers in the industry, all the suppliers. You go into any retailer, garden center, chain store, what have you, and look at the horticulture sector. You're going to have 80% of those suppliers being SANA members. So that's who we are. It, it's all the suppliers. It's all the growers that do all the growing of the, uh, from trees to, to plants, to or, ornamental plants, to the six packs, the, the bedding plant industry, pot plant industry. All those guys are members of SANA, and why is that? It's to ensure that we all do the right thing, follow the right uh, legal um, loopholes, and make sure that we all march in the same direction. And through that, th there's actually a dimension that we are that we belong to. It's like a family dimension. I mean, you you have your friends and families, you have your business dimensions, but this is a dimension of networking which is phenomenal. I've never seen it in any other industry. I spent many years in the chemical industry. It was cutthroat. There was never competitors that, that would get together, have a party, and, and discuss common themes or approaches. And yet, in the green industry, it, it, it's like one big family. It's, it's incredible. So it's, it, it's an honor to, to lead the South African Instruments Association right now in, in this time and environment. Um, I'll go down in history as an online president because we've done exactly one physical meeting due to COVID. So, um, but it's, but it's been fun. We, we have such loyal members and such exciting programs. The marketing arm is, is an absolutely wonderful arm that, 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 that directs itself towards a consumer to, so to make it more exciting for the consumer. What do you plant now? What do you look for in, in, in December? What should we be planting in the garden? What do we, you know, what are the pests and diseases that we need to look after? And what should we be growing now in this time of the season? So, and that's where you've also been involved. And it's, it's a very exciting area of, of the industry to, to be involved in. Yeah, educating everybody. That's the way to go, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Well, thank you very much for joining us. It's been very interesting hearing some of the stuff that, you know, we didn't know how it works behind the scenes, which is great to hear that. And um, may it go from strength to strength, and may gardening go from strength to strength, I think is the way that we should be looking at it. You know, let's go back to our roots, literally. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. So I, I can finish with this story to say that we we said that, Temperature is what kickstarts horticulture. Think also of the seasons. So it, life starts in spring. Uh, so in spring, you plant your seed and germinate it. In summer, you start developing the plant. That's where we are right now. So right now, it's time for fruit. Think of fruit. Think of watermelons. Think of melons. Uh, strawberries are just about too late. You should have planted them by now. 
Uh, gooseberries are still okay to plant. There's so many wonderful fruits that you can get planted now for a fantastic summer. So may I wish you all have a, a, a wonderful summer and a wonderful festive season. Thank you, you too, Paul. And we'll catch up with you again in the new year. And uh, to the rest of you, please think about that. Go out, go and get some seeds, go and plant something, go and plant a little bit of joy in your life. I think that would be a great way of looking at it. Paul Funk, thank you very much. And um, everybody else, have a fabulous festive season, as Paul said. But above all, stay grounded. Bye-bye. You've been listening to another episode of Grounded from Solid Gold Studios in Johannesburg. For more green ideas and events, pop along to Mel's Treasures on Facebook.